If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And as you do, let's go ahead and stand again as we read God's Word together. First Timothy chapter 4, I'll be reading from verse 7 through verse 10. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You may be seated. You guys ever seen the show Mythbusters? Raise your hands if you have. All right, everyone here. It's one of the most popular, long-running television shows to air in the last 20 years. Uh, it was filmed for the most part in the San Francisco Bay Area, where I currently reside, and its main premise, if you don't know, was to test the validity of various myths and urban legends using scientific observation and experimentation. So, for example, in one episode, the Mythbusters, the Investigated whether or not a penny dropped from the height of the Empire State Building could generate enough speed to kill someone who was walking on the street below. And in case you're curious, experiments revealed that the answer was no, because air resistance tends to slow things down. Well, this evening, I want to address one of the more common widespread myths that exist inside the church. And that's whether or not spiritual formation can take place apart from human efforts. In other words, can we grow? Can we bear fruit in the Christian life without even trying? After all, if salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not the result of our works, then what role, if any, do works and effort play in our walk with Christ? Well, the answer, as it turns out, is quite a lot. So far in our short time together, we've been considering this topic of spiritual formation, which we, of course, define as the process by which followers of Jesus grow to become more and more like their Savior. But again, the question remains, what does this actually look like, practically speaking? What does it mean for followers of Jesus to behold Christ in our day-to-day lives? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Specifically, we're going to consider how spiritual growth is dependent on the formation and practice of healthy spiritual habits. Spiritual habits, also more commonly known as spiritual disciplines, is defined by Don Whitney in the following way. If you guys know Don Whitney, he kind of wrote the book on this subject. He says that the spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. 
put it even more simply, spiritual disciplines are biblical habits that aid our growth in Christ. They are things that we do over and over again in order that we might become more and more like our Savior. Now, there is no definitive list of spiritual disciplines found anywhere in Scripture. In other words, I can't necessarily reference for you guys a specific chapter or verse that details every spiritual discipline out there. Having said that, the Bible does describe several practices that God's people are to regularly engage in in order to grow in greater devotion to the Lord. I've met some people who have told me that gardening helps them to be more like Jesus, and that hiking helps them to be more like Jesus, and that cycling helps them to be more like Jesus. And while I do not want to dismiss the value of any of those things, we're going to limit our discussion of spiritual disciplines this evening to the practices that we can readily see and observe in Scripture. In fact, here are some examples you can see on the slide. They include things like worship and Scripture reading, confession of sin, service, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, and more. These spiritual disciplines can be personal, meaning things that you do alone. They can be interpersonal, meaning things that you do with others. And while we could spend an entire weekend learning about all the spiritual disciplines, the plan for tonight's session is to simply cover three general truths as it relates to the nature of spiritual disciplines. So again, we might understand what role they play in our growth and development as disciples of Jesus. We're going to start off this evening with our first point, the duty of spiritual disciplines. Again, in the passage we open up our time with in 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, train yourself for godliness. The verb train there is a present active imperative, meaning it is a command that is designed to have continuous, ongoing implications for our lives. This very simply means that pursuing Christ-likeness is not an option. It is a command. Even though our Christ-likeness is guaranteed when Jesus finally returns to glorify us, we are still called to pursue Christ-likeness every single day before that time comes. This is, again, not so much a choice as it is an obligation, a duty that God expects all of us to fulfill. Again, consider the teachings of our Lord, Matthew 7. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Or Luke 8.21, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. John 13, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So over and over again, the scriptures make it clear that doing is a vital part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Pastor Dane Ortland, in his book Deeper, talks about four different ways Christians typically approach spiritual formation. And he describes them as follows. God, then me. God, not me. God, plus me. And finally, God, in me. I want to quickly talk about those one by one. 
First, in the God-then-me approach to spiritual formation, the Christian believes that God saves us by forgiving our sins and wiping our slate clean. But once we're saved, it's really then up to us to spend the rest of our lives doing good works by our own effort. Now, while this view is right in that it emphasizes the necessity of effort to pursue spiritual growth, the problem with it is that Christians, of course, still battle against Satan in the flesh. And therefore, our ability to do good works is severely impaired. No matter how hard we try, we're not going to get very far in the Christian life unless we are given supernatural empowerment. Which is why the God-then-me approach to Christian growth tends to produce a lot of guilt. It's because we are all bound to fail when we only rely on ourselves. In the God-not-me approach to spiritual formation, so this is the second one, the believer leaves it completely up to God to do all the work. This is what I like to call or refer to as the let go and let God, or the Jesus take the wheel approach to the Christian life. This view does a great job acknowledging how much we need God to become more and more like Christ. The problem is it fails to account for all the different commands and all the different instructions Christians are expected to fulfill. In other words, all the do's of Christianity end up getting ignored. So that's the God-not-me approach. Thirdly, in the God-plus-me approach to sanctification, the Christian life is basically seen as this 50-50 partnership between God and the individual believer. And while this view does a much better job accounting for the cooperative nature of our sanctification, it gets the ratio all wrong. Because we're not equal partners with God, you see, where he does half the work and then we do the other half. Christian pastor David Mathis, I think, explains it well. He says, I can flip a switch, but I don't provide the electricity. I can turn on a faucet, but I don't make the water flow. And so it is for the Christian with the ongoing grace of God. His grace is essential for our spiritual lives, but we don't control the supply. In other words, sanctification is not this 50-50 arrangement where God's contribution and ours are roughly the same. No, we are the ones who actually need Him, right? Not the other way around. And therefore, the view that I believe most faithfully reflects the teachings of Scripture as it relates to our individual growth as disciples is the last one, the God-in-me approach to the Christian life. Here, God not only saves us, But he also enables and empowers us through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells our hearts to do the hard work of training ourselves for the purpose of godliness. That's why we call it spiritual disciplines, right? They're spiritual in that the Holy Spirit is the primary agent behind our sanctification. But they're also disciplines in that we need to be the ones building up healthy habits and practices if we want to grow and mature in the Lord. Again, David Mathis says this, The way to receive the gift of God's empowering our actions is to do the actions. If he gives the gift of effort, we receive that gift by expending the effort. It is in this endless sea of his grace that we walk the path of the Christian life and take steps of grace-empowered effort and initiative. In other words, 
God is ultimately responsible for our spiritual growth, but his grace does not negate human effort. It enables it. Okay, so let me say that again. God is ultimately responsible for our spiritual growth, but his grace does not negate human effort. It enables it. I think St. Augustine put it even more memorably. He said this, Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. That's Augustine. What does the Bible say? Well, if you take a look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I think this is a passage all of us know well. Some of us here are what I would call Philippians 2.12 Christians, meaning we live our Christian lives as if everything depends on us. We try hard, we read our Bible, we do our best to obey, but there is little to no reliance upon the Holy Spirit to empower our spiritual growth. On the other hand, many of us, dare I say most of us, are Philippians 2.13 Christians. Meaning, we have confused sanctification with justification. And now we act as if our works don't matter at all. We may have found ourselves even saying at one point or another, I'm already saved. So what's the point in trying? But friends, God does not just forgive and pardon us, right? He empowers us as well. He gives us his spirit so that we might work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so my point is, we need to be Philippians 2, 12, and 13 Christians, right? That is, we need to join together these twin truths of spirit-led empowerment and spirit-led effort by simultaneously embracing our duty to work out our salvation while also remembering that God is the one who is working in our hearts to produce spiritual change in our lives. Again, without God, we cannot. Without us. God will not. So let me ask you guys as you sort of consider yourselves in light of what we've just talked about. Which approach to spiritual formation do you typically take? What do you default to? Is it the God then me? The God not me? The God plus me? Or the God in me? I can share just a little bit. For myself, uh, I grew up in the church. uh, And I don't know if it's because I'm an Asian American whose upbringing placed a really heavy emphasis on performance and achievement. But uh, in my earliest years as a believer, I approached sanctification as if it was purely up to me. In fact, I remember trying to be a good Christian in much the same way that I try to be a good student, by working hard and doing my best. The problem was, being like Christ was so much more difficult than being a good student. And so I found myself feeling a a lot of guilt and a lot of shame whenever I failed, and quite frankly, that happened a lot. But then right around college and in the first few years after I graduated, uh, I, I was introduced to the, the doctrines of grace, to reform theology. And it was like a, a breath of fresh air. The truth that my standing, that my worth before God was not contingent on my performance, but that it was wholly based on Christ and Christ alone. That was such good news for my soul. 
But one of the unintended consequences of this kind of newfound interest I had in Reformed theology, and I don't blame Reformed theology, I just blame my understanding of it, was that a God-not-me mentality slowly and subtly started to creep into the way I thought about my Christianity, about my walk with Christ. And now I found that the problem wasn't with me working too hard. Instead, it was as if the pendulum had swung in the complete opposite direction, and I started to believe that I didn't really have to work that hard at all. Instead, I assumed that since Jesus had done all the work to save me, all I needed to do now was simply wait for him to change me into his likeness. Eventually, I came to understand what the Bible says. That the same grace which saved me from the penalty of my sin also enables me to work hard to overcome the power of sin in my life. In other words, sanctification is by grace alone. Just like justification is by grace alone. But that does not change the fact that Christians have a duty to work hard because the Spirit is the one who is supplying us the energy and strength we need to pursue spiritual growth. And not only must we work hard, we also have to realize that spiritual disciplines are hard work. And that brings us to point number two, the challenge of spiritual disciplines. No matter how you slice it, spiritual disciplines are hard work. Reading your Bible is hard work. Spending time in prayer is hard work. Having meaningful fellowship with other believers, that's hard work too. The Greek word for train that's used in 1 Timothy 4 is gymnazo. It's where we get our English word for gymnasium. It can also be translated exercise or discipline. In fact, the old King James Version of the Bible renders this verse as exercise thyself unto godliness. John Whitney, again, even describes this as a sweaty word. He says this, Think of the spiritual disciplines as spiritual exercises. To go to your favorite spot for prayer or journaling, for example, is a spiritual equivalent of going to a gym and using a weight machine. As physical disciplines like this promote bodily strength, so the spiritual disciplines promote godliness. So you see, the Christian life is all about working up a sweat. It's about getting in those steps, closing in those rings, so to speak, so that you and I can pursue, uh, pursue greater maturity and obedience in our lives. We all know this. If you've read through the Bible before, you know that athletic imagery is very commonplace throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 9.24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Or similarly, in Hebrews 12, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Or 1 Timothy 6, fight, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. The point being, following Jesus looks very much like training for an athletic competition, in that it requires hard work and a tremendous amount of personal discipline. The problem is, if we're being honest, right, if we're speaking completely unfiltered, neither working hard or hard work sounds especially appealing to us. Sure, we want to grow in Christ, we want to be formed in his likeness, but we would rather not have to expend so much effort in order to do so. But here's the thing, guys. Spiritual growth never just happens. 
It never just happens. Right? We can't just cruise our way into Christ's likeness. Instead, as we see here in 1 Timothy 4, spiritual growth takes place as we exercise the power of the Holy Spirit to train and discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Besides the fact that spiritual disciplines are hard work, another challenge as it relates to spiritual disciplines is that it takes time to see results. It takes time. And that's tough for us because we like things now. We live in an age of high-speed internet, right? And Amazon Prime two-day shipping and microwaves and everything else. But growing in Christ is not like that. We're not used to having to wait for anything. We want to see results fast. But again, that's not how spiritual growth works. I know we have like a mixture of older guys and younger guys here, but um, I'm thinking most of you have seen The Matrix, right? You guys know Neo, the main protagonist, Keanu Reeves. How does, how does Neo acquire new skills? Do you guys remember? He downloads it, right? He, he, he connects his brain to a computer. Imagine how awesome it would be if we could acquire Christ's likeness in the same way, right? Just plug yourself in a scripture or plug yourself into a small group and download Christ's likeness instantaneously. But the reason why spiritual formation doesn't happen like that is because growing in Christ is a process that takes time. It's again why 2 Corinthians 3, the passage we looked at yesterday, describes spiritual formation as something that takes place from one degree of glory to another. You see, the changes God wants to make in you and me are far more than surface level. It's not behavior modification we're talking about. It's that we are pursuing deep, profound change in our minds and in our hearts. Richard Foster was a Christian author who wrote extensively on the subject of spiritual formation. Uh, He said this, I don't necessarily agree with everything that he wrote, but I think he's right on the money with this quote. He said, deep character formation in the subterranean chambers of our hearts does not occur overnight. This is no quick fix. It is crucial here for us to respect the slow work of God upon the soul. Slowly, ever so slowly, over days and weeks and months and years, the soul is being carefully formed and conformed and transformed. Throughout this holy work, we are learning patience, stillness, and perseverance. See, what Foster is saying here is that the fruits of spiritual disciplines generally require a lifetime to grow. One last thing I would note about the challenge of spiritual disciplines before we move on is that they are painfully ordinary. And they are painfully ordinary. Some of you guys may have been disappointed to hear me say that the primary way for us to grow spiritually is by practicing spiritual disciplines because chances are you've already heard a thousand sermons on spiritual disciplines before. You know, maybe you were on the edge of your seat. You're like, hey, what's the secret to growing in Christ? Really? Spiritual disciplines? Maybe you were hoping for something different. Maybe you were yearning to hear something new. Again, what you probably didn't want was another sermon about things like Bible reading and prayer and evangelism. But those are the very things that God uses to help us grow in Christ. Because guess what? There is no hack. And there is no magic bullet when it comes to spiritual growth. Instead, the process of becoming more like Jesus is typically unspectacular, mundane, and ordinary. It's ordinary because becoming like Jesus is simply living as Jesus did. It's 
reading the scriptures like Jesus and praying like Jesus and preaching the gospel like Jesus and having fellowship like Jesus. In other words, it is through the largely familiar, and might I even say boring, practices of spiritual disciplines that we grow to become more and more like Christ. And while that initially might seem a little bit disappointing to us, because again, all of us have this fascination with things that are new, it should also be quite liberating for us as well. Because what it means is, Christ-likeness is within reach for all of us. Okay, Christ-likeness is within reach for every single one of us. You see, because spiritual disciplines are not limited to super disciples or elite Christians, they are literally things that any one of us can do at any time, right? Anyone can read their Bible. Anyone can pray. Anyone can serve. This means that anyone can grow to become more like Christ, provided we are willing to work hard, stay patient with the process, and commit ourselves to the largely ordinary nature of the Christian life. And that leads us to our final point for this evening, the power of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are powerful because they create habits and routines that help us to grow in Christ. Take a look at Hebrews 5.14. It says there, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained, again, there's that Greek word gymnazo again, trained by constant practice, which is just another way of referring to habit, to distinguish good from evil. In recent years, there's been a lot of research done about the power of habit. Charles Duhigg, a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the New York Times, actually wrote a best-selling book by that name, The Power of Habit. And one of the key arguments of his book is that habits are necessary for our brains to function properly. He explains that since all of us have only limited amounts of mental bandwidth to expend at any given time, our brains have to lean on habits and routines to perform complex tasks easily and effortlessly. So for instance, I want you guys to think about the first time you ever drove a car. The first time you ever learned how to drive, it probably required an enormous amount of concentration, right? You had to adjust your seat, you had to check your mirrors, you had to put on your seatbelt and turn on the ignition and look around for obstacles. You had to remove your foot from the brake and then calculate how much force to apply onto the gas and turn the steering wheel, etc., etc., etc. For most of us, if we remember, that process was extremely stressful. But over time, what happened? The more we drove, the more second nature it became. To the point that now, for most of us at least, the relatively complex, uh, complex task of driving a car is largely intuitive. And the reason why is because our brains have created habit loops that simplify the task of driving. And that's why driving feels so natural and so automatic for us. The repetitive nature of driving has literally created neural pathways in our brains that enable us to do the activity without exerting much effort or thought. 
In the same way, you see, reading your Bible is hard work, and again, spending time in consistent prayer is hard work, and serving the church is hard work too. But when you commit yourself to doing those things consistently and repetitively over and over again, you will create healthy habits in your life that will eventually make those disciplines seem easier and easier until one day you realize they're just a vital part of who you are. They're natural to you. Again, this is the power of spiritual disciplines. They establish new habits, new routines that help us to grow in Christ. Habits not only create behaviors that feel more natural and automatic, they are also capable of changing our desires as well. They're capable of changing our desires as well. In fact, several studies have shown that daily habits and routines can shape the desires and cravings we have in very particular ways. Duhigg, in that book I was talking about earlier, writes this. Habits create neurological cravings. Most of the time, these cravings emerge so gradually that we're not really aware they exist. So we're often blind to their influence. But as we associate cues with certain rewards, a subconscious craving emerges in our brains that starts the habit loop spinning. I know this is something that all of us have experienced for ourselves, one way or another. For those of you who like to exercise, it probably always wasn't always the case, right? What you probably found was the more you exercise, the more your desire for exercise grew, right? I'm not a person who exercises, at least not physically, so I'll use an opposite example. There was a stretch of time last year where I noticed that uh, late at night, after my kids went to bed and I was kind of relaxing and unwinding and be watching something, that I would always reach for the pantry, uh, into the pantry for food. And so, um, you know, this, this happened over several consecutive nights. And then after a while, I would realize that my stomach would have an expectation for food every night. Even if I had a very hearty meal for dinner, even if I wasn't hungry whatsoever, again, there was something about the power of habit, doing the same thing over and over again that created a certain desire. Habits create desire. It's the same reason why when I see my wife looking at handbags online, I'm like, don't do that. Because the more you look at handbags, the more you're going to want a handbag, right? That's what happens. One Christian author puts it this way. The things we do, do something to us. Okay, let me say that again. The things we do, do something to us. It's just another way of saying, we become what we behold. So both scripture, as well as those who have made it their career to study human behavior, they all agree. Habits change what we desire. Think about that. So if you want to have a life that's patterned after God's word, you have to establish a daily routine of being in the Bible. I have met with so many people in ministry over the years who have said, you know what, I want to read the Bible, but I don't really want to read the Bible, you know, like I like the idea of reading the Bible every day, but I don't really feel like reading the Bible. And until I feel like reading the Bible, I probably won't actually get to it. And what I want to encourage them again and again with, and now I feel like I have reasons for doing so, is if you read the Bible, you may find that your feelings will follow afterwards. Just got to do it consistently. 
or if you want to grow to become more dependent upon Christ, you have to cultivate a spiritual habit or discipline of prayer. If you want to have more edifying friendships, you have to exercise the discipline of intentional fellowship. Because again, spiritual disciplines have the power to transform our desires, to create new desires in our hearts. This is the power of habit. This, this is the power of spiritual disciplines. The problem is, the power of habit also works in reverse as well. So that just as good habits can cultivate spiritual vitality, bad habits can disrupt our spiritual formation. Biblical counselor Mike Emlett asks, Have you considered how the routines that make up your life, television, email, Facebook, texting, shopping, tracking the stock market, talk radio, might be training and shaping you? Are your daily practices teaching you to love and give yourself to something other than God's kingdom? Again, the things that we do, do something to us. Or to use the language we've been using throughout this weekend, our habits disciple us. That is, they train us, they, they mold us, they shape us to become particular types of people. All of us have habits. Every single one of us. The question is, what are they? And how are they shaping or influencing you? Let's just say, every time you're bored, you turn on the TV. Or every time you're sad, you distract yourself by scrolling through your phone. Or every time you're stressed, you snack on junk food. All of those habits will slowly begin to change you. They will become practices that become natural. They will feel reflexive so that every time you're bored or every time you're sad or every time you're stressed, you will find yourself reverting to those same behaviors again and again. So let's say you want to change all that. Let's say you want to begin to cultivate new habits in your life. What you want to do, again, is create new habit loops. So that every time, let's say, you feel tempted, you reach out to an accountability partner. Or every time you're anxious, you start to recite scripture to yourself. Or every time you feel stressed, you cry out to the Lord in prayer. Over time, those new habits, those new disciplines will transform who you are. They will help you to become more like Christ. The point being, spiritual disciplines can rewire and reprogram us so that instead of doing things that are destructive for our spiritual health, we're able to cultivate greater spiritual vitality through the practice of daily spiritual disciplines. So let me just quickly summarize everything that we talked about tonight. Spiritual disciplines are our duty. Let's bust the myth once and for all, okay? If we want to grow in Christ, we have to work hard by pursuing a disciplined life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only do we have to work hard, but the challenge of spiritual disciplines is that they require a lot of patience because spiritual disciplines are largely ordinary routines that take time to bear fruit in our lives. Even so, spiritual disciplines are worth pursuing because they unleash the power of habits. In other words, they establish patterns and routines that help us to change in profound ways. So as we close, I just want you to quickly consider how we can apply some of these truths into our lives. Here's what I would suggest, just as a point of application. Okay? Number one, observe your daily habits and routines. Again, all of us have habits. So what are your core practices? What patterns of behavior characterize your day-to-day -day life? For example, what do you typically do when you wake up in the morning? 
Or what do you typically do when you're finished with work? Or what do you typically do before going to bed? Think about the habits that characterize your life. And after thinking about those things, compile a list. And then number two, evaluate your habits. Evaluate your habits. Ask yourself, which habits are contributing to my spiritual health and which of them are harming my spiritual health? What habits and routines are helping me to feed the spirit and which of them are causing me to feed my flesh? And once you've uh, spent some time reflecting on the different effects that your habits have, thirdly and finally, replace unhealthy habits with spiritual disciplines. So for instance, maybe instead of checking your email or scrolling through Instagram first thing in the morning, establish a pattern where you begin each day in word and in prayer. Or rather than vegging out in front of the TV every night you have, schedule one to two times throughout the week where you're able to spend an intentional fellowship with other believers. Maybe have family worship with your spouse and with your kids, or maybe meet regularly with a small group or with an accountability partner. Whatever it is, identify and commit to specific routines that will help to promote your spiritual wealth, uh, health and well-being. And as you guys do, again, always remember to lean on the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Justice, justification is by grace alone. Sanctification, again, is by grace alone as well. But it is a grace that enables us to work hard and to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness so that we can grow to become more and more like our Savior. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word that we ought to train ourselves to become more and more like Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you do not leave this to us to carry out by ourselves, but that you've given us your spirit who indwells our hearts, who empowers us and enables us, Lord God, to carry out this work. We confess, Lord, that many times we seek other things. We want a quick fix. We want an easy way, Lord God, to mature spiritually. But we recognize, Lord, what you have put forth in your word, that this is something, Lord God, that you want to work in and through us. So help us to work out what you are working in by leading lives of discipline and cultivating habits, Lord God, that would lead not only to our spiritual maturation, but ultimately to your glory. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.